Welcome to Brazen Education with Educator Barnes, a podcast with a focus on speaking your truth, being transparent to help others, and having no shame about it. Because we can't move forward until the truth is known. Hey, it's Educator Barnes, and welcome back to Brazen Education. Today, I'm going to talk about seven questions I've been asked about education in regards to COVID-19. And the questions I picked to address today were questions that I've been asked more than once by more than one person. And I don't have all the answers. This is just my opinion and my thoughts about these topics, so take it or leave it. One of the very first questions I was asked when schools closed, so here in Indiana where I reside, schools were going to be closed through spring break. That was the first um, guidance that we were given by the governor. And then that was extended to May 1st. Now, this is actually not a question on my list, but one of the questions a lot of people have been talking about is will we finish the school year? If my sons go back to school, they will have approximately about 14 days, maybe three weeks left in the school year. Some schools, they go into June, so they have a little bit longer because in Indy, um, there are different school calendars for the 11 different districts in the city. I'm not for sure if we're going to go back to school, but one of the questions that I was asked and I was talking to other administrators about was this, should an ineffective teacher be fired during this time. And there was a lot of debate back and forth about this and people started to think about this because if we don't return to school, what are we gonna do, just fire you on the phone while school is closed? And that's why I kinda had to address the other question even though that's not on my list of seven questions because that was relevant to this the conversation. So here are some of the thoughts I have. Let's talk about PIPs or, um, um, and that uh, stands for um, improvement, um, uh, professional improvement uh, plan, right? Teachers get put on these and they can call, so that's what my school calls them. Other schools may call them other things. So we'll just say improvement plan for the sake of this conversation, right? Teachers get put on improvement plans based on observations from their administrators. So whoever the administrator is, that could be the principal, could be assistant principal. At my school, I evaluate teachers on the charter school where I work. My principal does not evaluate teachers. That's actually the academic deans. And I'm one of the, I'm one of four academic deans and I evaluate half of our middle school teachers and half of our special area slash elective team. So you have evidence that you have accumulated over time to say this teacher is just not meeting the standard that we need a teacher to meet for instruction to be effective. Then you put the teacher on the plan. There's two purposes for putting the teacher on the plan. Purpose one is the teacher is going to improve, the teacher will get better, will retain the teacher, will keep the teacher, right? Purpose two is 
you want the teacher to improve, but if the teacher doesn't improve, you are able to show that you put in all the plans and all the efforts that you could to help the teacher improve that just didn't improve. Because the thing that I hate the, the most is when a principal, other teachers know a teacher needs to go, and then that teacher still has a job because nobody did the work to put the teacher on the improvement plan. And at the end of the day, that hurts students. Because now you have someone who isn't a good educator, they can't teach, they can't even teach from a daggone script. And let me tell you, there are some of these schools that teachers are using a scripted curriculum and teachers still can't teach that. And I, I mean, I don't know what to tell you, you, you can't stick to the, the script. And I do not think teaching should be a script, so that's not what I'm saying. But I'm just saying there are people who have a script and can't even do that. And still in front of children right now. So when administrators don't put what's needed in place to address those educators, at the end of the day, it hurts students. And many of those educators are in schools where uh, there are majority students of color, majority students who are in poverty. And those are some of the teachers that they have. And that's not right. So you observe the teacher. You put the teacher on a plan. And then now you're watching the plan. There's milestones where you check in just about the plan, put extra support in place. And then the coronavirus pandemic happens and schools close. What do you do with an educator? Now, this is going to sound really harsh. I say you let them loose. If you've done the work to put the teacher on a plan and you feel based on the time that you were in school that the teacher is not where you need them to be, cut the teacher loose. And this is my reason why. We have switched to e-learning and to be honest, overall, I'm not saying that it's going well. We're doing what we can. We're making do with what we can. But how many students are really going to be picking up new knowledge? Like my own personal kids, all they've been doing is doing review. Now after spring break, because we're on spring break this week, they're supposed to be learning, right? But they're only getting content three days a week, which I think that is what is needed because... My husband and I, we were working full-time at home, so we're not on vacation. Uh, I was just talking to my husband before I started making this podcast, and he was saying, well, I'm about to sign off, and it was about, well, he said it was about to sign off in an hour and a half. I said, well, aren't you, like, clocking out of work a half hour early? And not to, like, pick at him while we're working remotely, but he's like, no, because I skipped my lunch today. He said, you have to tell each other when you're officially taking your lunch and going to be offline because if you don't say when you're going to be offline that's ghost employment and you're going to have to start taking pto so employers are taking this seriously that if you're supposed to be working remotely your butt's supposed to be working remotely right you're not supposed to be in your jammies playing xbox or binging netflix you're actually supposed to be online and responding to stuff and if you're not then pto it was the same conversation i had to have with my teachers if you're not going to be available during the time you're supposed to be available, then you are choosing to take PTO. And that sounds harsh, but at the end of the day, we are getting paid. We have students who have parents who have lost their jobs. So the least we could do is take whatever we have. I mean, we feel like we're grasping a straw with this e-learning and taking it seriously. But back to the e-learning, we know that there are going to be some kids that are going to come back to school with gaps. Heck, some kids went to this situation with gaps. And so now they're going to have less face-to-face time with the teacher and go back. And then you want to keep the ineffective teacher that was part of the reason why they didn't grow to begin with. They're bringing them back after this is all over and done with to continue teaching. And then they have to close a larger gap. That does not help our students. So I say cut them loose. 
I, yes, is that easier to do in a charter school? Yeah. But also, when people say, oh, it's the union and I can't, we can't fire teachers. I've been at schools, um, union schools, where ineffective teachers got fired. And at the end of the day, that was because the administrator put in the work to make sure that happened so the students would be taken care of. Let's get the second question. Let's get to the second question. The second question I've been asked, and this has been by black people, should black parents send their kids back to school? You know, a lot of people have been talking about, you know, before the Brown versus Board of Education, a lot of black children were in the care and being taught by black teachers. And then when the schools got integrated, those integrated schools didn't want to keep the black teachers. So they were out of jobs. And so now, fast forward to the future, you're having kids going through their whole education, no matter what your race or ethnicity is, not ever having a black teacher. I only had a few during my education, K through 12, and a couple uh, post-secondary in college. And now I'm at home, and I was on, um, I was talking to uh, Citizen uh, Stewart. Uh, we did a Facebook Live earlier today. And I was talking to him and I said, there's things that I've been teaching my child. There's context I've been adding to like maybe their history and their social studies lesson that they're not going to get in school. And there's a lot of thought behind. I have something to offer that the school isn't offering. I say, do you. If you think that what you have to offer is better, if there's other families you can connect with and you guys think you can maybe do a black homeschooling co-op, I said, go for it. Because at the end of the day, there's so many kids that are being uh, judged. They um, Teachers have the belief gap. They don't believe they can reach a certain potential. Teacher already got a bias about them before they came. Teacher done went into their records and just looking up stuff and adding their previous teacher, trying to find out how bad they are, already starting to judge the child before they get them. And schools have to do better. Like Schools have to be like, you need to come back. Now, granted, do I think a lot of people are going to do this? No. I think based on all the, the memes I've been seeing on social media and all the rants, some Parents are tired, so they'll be more than happy to kick their kids back to the school just uh, for the fact that they don't have to do it. But I think there are some parents that are going to be like, I don't want my kid back in this school. My kids have access to other people that I don't want them to have access to. Maybe I should keep them at home. So I do think there's going to be some people that's going to change their mind and try to do homeschooling permanently, in particular black families. Three. Should any student be retained? Now, retention, even in a normal school year where school isn't closed for weeks at a time, retention is always a touchy subject. I would say in most of my career, I've taught middle school. I can recall one middle school student being retained. And I taught middle school for eight years, middle school English for eight years. I can only remember one student ever being retained. And research really shows as kids get older, it doesn't really have the effect that people are looking for. And the younger grades, it may help and it may not help. And I put it to you this way. If you know Sally is behind and you're choosing not to retain Sally, then you better have a damn good plan to get Sally caught up when she gets to the next grade. Or she's going to be further and further behind and then she's not going to be able to graduate. If you're going to retain Sally, you should have done the work up to now to make that happen. There should have been a conference, a letter should have went home. If you never sent the letters home saying that you were going to retain somebody, you really can't do that. You can't just at the end of the school year say, hey, I'm going to retain your child. And there's been no communication from the school that they're on a retention path. 
So I anticipate that a lot of kids who may have been retained will not get retained or get passed on. So you have students who are above grade level who may slip down to maybe being close to grade level. That's going to come back next school year. You have kids on grade level that may lose some learning during this time. So we're going to get them calm. And then you have the kids that may have benefited from retention or just significantly behind and they're going to show up next school year. That's something that we're going to have to deal with and we're going to have to have a plan for all those different groups of students. And I assert that some of us will not be able to have a good plan because we haven't dealt with those issues. Because those three groups, right, above grade level, on grade level, below grade level, those three groups are in our classrooms now. And some of us haven't been able to teach those different groups already. So this is going to be uh, an additional challenge for some schools. Four. What support should we put in place for students who are already behind? So that kind of ties into my last question, but I've been asked it a lot. One of the things that people have been asking me a lot about is summer school. Like, summer school should just be mandated. And I'm just like, first of all, y'all assuming that we're going to be out of our houses in the summertime. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downerbush. I, I just don't know. Because right now, we're trying to flatten the curve. But we still go, I feel like we still going up the hill with the curves. The curve has not come back down yet. So until we get to the part where I tune in and there's less cases being reported each day, we're going to be in these houses for a minute. I think, you, I just don't think it's a good idea to mandate summer school for everybody. I think when we get out of here, the number one thing people are going to do, they want to go places. They want to be social. They want to take their kids somewhere. A lot of people had to cancel their spring va vacation. They may want a vacation. They may want to do that social time. Or maybe now mom and dad got some money back and they want to spend it now. I think you really have to think about the needs, the emotional, the family needs versus the academic needs. Now, I'm not saying one is more important than the other. And then you have kids who are that above grade level or at grade level who parents are like, why does my kid need to be at summer school? That's a reality. I think it would be great to offer summer school if schools allowed to open. But I don't think it's a good idea to mandate summer school because that's no different than doing a one size fit all in your classroom where you give everybody in your classroom the same thing and everyone doesn't need the same thing. So that's something that we have to talk about. Number five, how should teachers be evaluated? I got to ask this question myself, like how, how, how am I being evaluated, Shantae? And that's the teachers I supervise. And I said, I don't know how I'm about to be evaluated. So how can I tell you how you're going to be evaluated? That's exactly what I kind of said. I think you evaluate the tasks that teachers are being asked to do because you can't use the rubric to evaluate things you can't see. So if a teacher is teaching a lesson live, I can be on there and I can watch and I can take notes and I can observe that, right? If a teacher is supposed to have lesson plans posted into Canvas or posted into Schoology or posted into Google Classrooms, I can log on and see if they're at least being compliant and then see if the lessons are of quality. If they're supposed to be reaching out to the kids, I can have them turn in the log and see if they're doing that. If they're supposed to be having office hours, I can pop up on the link to see if they're actually there and available during those times. I don't, I, if a teacher is not on a plan and not ineffective, I think you shouldn't worry about having your job for next school year. But I also think this is not a time to slack because like I said earlier on this podcast, we are getting paid and we should be grateful 
that we have a job, that we are able to be at home and we're also getting paid because there are people who are not. I mean, there's people in my own family and my husband's family who just got let go. And or if they didn't get let go and got told to file unemployment, they are out of work indefinitely until they're able to reopen their job. So we got to be humble. We got to be grateful and we have to do the best we can. No, this isn't perfect. Yes, we should take care of ourselves. But if we're getting paid like we are, we need to take it seriously. So when we get moved on to the next school year and we get brought back is we had integrity. That's, that's really where I'm looking for integrity. You're being honest with yourself. You're doing the right thing, even though no one's looking, even though people don't know. Number six. What should schools do differently based on this experience? So a lot of people have been asking me, well, you know, based on all this stuff that's come out and schools, like what's wrong with schools? What should schools fix when they come back? I think the number one thing that schools need to address is technology. This technology conversation isn't new. When states started going to standardized testing being online and people were saying we don't have the technology, we don't have the resources. How the hell do you think when we fast forward to the future to, to now that we were just matching going to have technology. If we're saying we're doing, you know, global learners or 21st century learners or, you know, whatever little phrase you're using to say that you're using technology and you're being innovative. We need to make sure that all students, regardless of color, regardless of zip code, uh, regardless of social economic status, have access to this type of technology and know how to use it. So there's two camps. There's camp number one. I don't really have access to technology. I mean, my school has technology, but it breaks down a lot. And I really only get to use it when we're taking like some assessment on the computer. I don't really get to use it to learn. And then you have the other group of kids. I mean, we have technology, but I mean, we just use it to click on links occasionally. And, you know, I may use it to play a game, but I don't use it for like an academic purpose. And I would say my kids are in the second group. They have a platform. They Their school uses Canvas. And I realize my kids don't really know how to use it as well as they should. Like use it to be independent of me walking them through how to do things. I mean, my one son teacher connected a module within a module. So then when my son went to that module, he couldn't figure out how to get back to the original module he was on. And I think about my one son having to do a video of himself and uploading that. My other son had to upload an image. And then don't get me started about having to teach them how to do an attachment. And then the fact that we're putting all these kids on technology and then we're not even teaching them how to type. I mean, why would you have a kid <laughs> do an assignment that's paragraph long and they can't type on a computer? It don't make no sense. And so an assignment that would have took them a shorter amount of time had they been at school writing by hand versus now have to do it online is taking them much longer because of their typing ability. So technology is one thing that we have to address. We also have to address meeting families' basic needs. All of a sudden, and this is going to, I'm not saying that schools didn't care, but all of a sudden we, we, we are hypervision like, Man, Sally's not going to eat. If school is cold, we got to make sure Sally's and her family's eating. We got to make sure people have clothes. Schools sending out emails. If you need assistance, please contact us back. Or please come at this time. Here's the protocol to follow. Where was that energy? Where was that concern during the school year? Because some of those same people that are hungry right now because schools are closed, they were hungry during the school year. 
The last meal they ate was lunch. When they went home, they didn't have dinner. They didn't eat again until they came back to get that free breakfast. Where was the concern then? Where was the, here's a resource your family can connect to. Here's a resource you can connect to to get clothes. Here's a resource you can connect to to get food. Here's a resource you can connect to for mental health services. Now we're going over and above. And I say over and above, like I've got so many messages just from my, the school district. My sons go to. And some of the things, like, I appreciate what they're doing, but, and I think about other people who have said the same thing in these different conversations I've been having with different parents and different educators. It's just, why weren't we caring about these things now? Or I talked to one educator said, I brought this concern about this family beginning the school year, and I was told that's not my problem by my school leadership. But now that school is closed, now we're going to make it our problem. And I hope when we go back to school, that that same concern and compassion we had about Kids and their emotions and their mental health, their physical safety, their food. I hope we still have that type of compassion and care when we come back. These community groups that came out to help schools. I hope those community groups are still there when we go back to school because we need you when school comes back. As a teacher, I shouldn't have to be figuring out how to get kids coats. And kids at one of the elementary schools I worked at, kids don't know this, but some of the kids in my school were wearing um some of the clothes that used to belong to my children because I donated them. Now, they don't know that they're wearing that, but I knew kids needed clothes. I just, I would bring in stuff. I would donate it uh, to the office, and then when they needed clothes, they would give it to them. I saw that need, and I filled it, but I was donating something that I didn't need anymore. A lot of teachers are coming out of their pockets and buying things, but all of a sudden, you have these community groups and churches that magically, you know, they may have funds for tithes and offering. They're magically being able to help now. Where were you during the school year when these same families needed that help? And I think those are some of the things that have to change. The other thing, I'm hearing more administrators say, you know, I reached out to my teacher and I checked on them, their, their health first, which is great. But shouldn't we have already been doing that to begin with? Shouldn't we already be starting meetings with like appreciating, appreciating our teachers? Shouldn't we already be thinking about them as a human, as a, a person first, making sure they're okay mentally and physically before we get into the work? Yes, at the end of the day, the teacher still has to do their job, right? I'm not going to uh, argue about that. But we got to care about the person because the teacher is also a person. Number six. Oh, I already said number six. <laughs> number seven. How can we get better at social emotional learning? Now that schools are closed, the other thing that's happened is standardized testing has been canceled. And now that that's been canceled, everybody's been coming out the woodwork about we need to take care of the whole child. And, you know, we just need to teach what we can. And I, I don't there's just again, the whole child was there. At the beginning of the school year. And a lot of schools are using programs like Second Step. My son's school uses it. The school I used to work at used it. My current school uses that. And there's different social emotional programs. But what I've seen is that a, a lack of investment into the, some of these programs. Right? It's just a thing to do. Or it's a thing that doesn't get done. And there's like a checklist of teachers who haven't even done the lessons. Or who just half doing the lessons to get through it. And all of a sudden, now we're concerned about how kids are faring. I mean, my son had a flip grid assignment and the teacher asked something like, uh, 
what was the weirdest thing that's happened so far during the closure? And some of the responses just made me sad. Kids saying they missed school. They thought it was going to be fun. Or kids saying, oh, my parents out of work. And I think about, well, how are those kids managing those emotions? How how are you doing as a kid? My, my twin sons are in third grade. How are you doing as a third grader when you're at home and your parent just unexpectedly lost uh, his or her job? And you're sitting there worrying about, like, do we have money saved up? Are we going to be kicked out of our house or our apartment? How are you doing? But these things have happened during the school year. Before this pandemic happened, you have parents that lost their jobs or kids that had to go live in a, a homeless shelter or parents getting abused and the, the child saw it or there's gun violence or the kids being touched inappropriately by someone else or the parent, the kid got put in foster care. These are all the things I've seen just in my career, like with students I had. That's real. Where were we and how were we taking care of those children then? Because now you're going to have some of these kids who are in these situations because schools are closed. So they don't have an escape from these situations. So now they've lived. If you're in an abusive uh, situation where either your parents getting abused or maybe you're getting abused too, coming to school was your escape from that. Now there's no escape. That is your day in and your day out. And then we're going to go back to school. And that child's been in that for a minute. They just weren't in it for like the summer break. They've been in it if the school's closed the rest of the school year for months plus the summer break for, I mean, at this point, a quarter of the year, you know, they've been in that. How are we going to address those needs when we come back? How are we going to make social emotional learning an integral part of the day and not just something we squeeze into homeroom class or we shove into morning meeting really quickly how do we make it a meaningful thing that pops up during the day how do we in the middle of the math lesson if i'm getting frustrated how do i exhibit right there some social emotional learning to say hey guys you know what mrs barnes is getting frustrated right now and I'm just going to take some deep breaths because if I don't, I'm just going to get more worked up and then I'm not going to be able to teach this lesson. And I think all of us right now just need to take a moment. And, you know, it's OK to express your feelings and take a moment. That is when you can tell that SEL is integrated into your school because it's not just a time of day that it happens. You are integrating those principles and those practices throughout the school day. And just naturally and you're modeling those. A lot of students will tell you. Um, if I'm frustrated, I verbalize that. If uh, I'm getting upset, you're going to know. <laughs> and it's not because I'm screaming and yelling. I'm going to say, look, I've asked y'all three times to stop talking while I'm talking. And I'm getting frustrated right now because I know we have all these things to cover. And I also know that we got behind yesterday and it looks like we're on course to get behind again today. And know how many more times i'm gonna have to repeat myself before i'm gonna have to take some consequences here and i don't want to do that because you know mrs barnes doesn't let the some people out the room but what you're not going to do is keep disrupting this class and i say that and i say i'm just going to take a moment right now i'm just going to i'm just going to count oh what number and i always do all what number and somebody gives me a number if it's not an outrageous number i'll count back from that number so uh, kids know they need to keep it under 20 i will count back loudly like so they can hear me you know and then I get to zero and it resets. Now, because I've done things with students before, they know like when I got to zero and we reset and you play, you will be going to a buddy room. You will not continue in the room like they know I'm just not saying it for show. But what I'm trying to say is that should be an integral part uh, integrated into the school. If you're using the program, all these programs have little phrases 
or, or catch words that they use or common language that they use. Everyone should be using that common language. So you can't go anywhere without somebody saying like some phrase that you know. It, it almost should give a kid almost an eye roll because, oh my gosh, they're going to tell me to take deep breaths again. So it's just like day in, day out. Because at the end of the day, we want kids, if they're going back to these environments that may not be good, to be able to have that. So when they come back, they know how to readjust or calm their brain because some kids are constantly in the fight or flight mode because that's the only way they can survive in their home environment. So when they come back to school, they kind of on edge and, and we need to give them tools and model these tools. These are some, these are the seven uh, questions I've been asked and just go over again. I talked about an effective teacher be fired. I talked about should black parents send their uh, kids back to school? Should any student be retained? What support should we put in place for students who are already behind? How should teachers be evaluated? What should schools do differently based on this experience? And how can we get better at social emotional learning? Those are the seven uh, top questions I've been asked repeatedly by educators, by parents, and even a couple of grandparents because some grandparents are default uh, parents right now. Maybe their uh, grown child is not able to take care of their child because their child is their adult child is the first responders. So they have the grandkids right now, and so they're trying to figure this out. These are the seven questions I've been asked. What questions are you thinking about? What questions have you been asked? I would love to do another podcast, even have you on here and discuss it with you, or to answer more questions that people have. There's been so many questions, and I thought about, oh, I could write a piece or address each question, but Honestly, like I said, I'm working remotely and I'm trying to manage my kids' uh, school schedule. And it's been actually harder to, for me to write as much as I would like to write. Yes, I'm on my website, educatorbarns.com. I am doing my coronavirus chronicles, which I only write Monday through Friday. And that's a little easier to write because I literally just recount what happened today. It's not like one of these pieces. If I'm going to talk about retention, I may go do some research and give you some data about retention in the piece. If I'm just spitting at you about what I did during the day, I don't need to go do no research. So it's been a little bit harder for me to do some of these things, but I would love to do that. And I would love to even do some Facebook Live, Instagram Live, some of that stuff while I'm here. Because, you know, one of the things I've done since I've been home, I braided my hair. I did single braids and then I braided the braids up to make them wavy. I have, I literally cannot tell you guys the last time I braided my own hair. I do not add weave or anything to my hair. I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm just not that person. But it takes forever just to do my own hair. And then I say, you know what? I'm going to do one of my wraps. I hadn't wrapped my hair in a long time. I used to, I was experimenting with wrapping my hair back when my boys were young. And then I kind of fell away from it. So I did on my uh, Facebook Live with a Citizen Steward today. I had my wavy braids and my little wrap on. I, I was, I was, I was like, okay. And look, I hadn't got that nice since we've been at home, so I was happy to kind of look a little nice today. But I would love to continue to show off my fabulous different wraps I've been trying out, and also uh, be able to chat with some of you guys. So how can you find me and contact me? You can contact me directly through my website, educatorbarns.com. You can DM me on Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is Educator Barnes. And if you were to speak about the podcast, hashtag it Brazen Education or Brazen Ed. Well, I hope to chat with you online sometime. And thanks for listening.